You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. A quick word before we begin. Today is all about the pastor as exemplar. The pastor, in one sense, as an image of godliness. But we're going to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to spend the first two-thirds of this sermon or so showing you something that at least I think is absolutely glorious, right? It'll be, I hope, as amazing to you as it has been to me to see this. But it will seem totally irrelevant to the topic at hand. You probably won't even hear the term pastor or elder mentioned at all in the first two-thirds of the sermon. But then at the end, I'll seek to tie it all together and show you actually just how deeply relevant it is. So, we're going to take the scenic route today, but don't worry, I promise, in the end, we will land the plane. All right? So, you know, every year, people spend billions of dollars trying to craft an image for themselves. Globally, the cosmetics industry, one of you know, is worth $511 billion in this year alone. In fact, in Australia, uh, these are the stats, the average woman spends close to $1,000 on cosmetics every year. And brothers, if we're honest, body image is, is a significant issue for men as much as it is for women. Just think about on a day-to-day basis. We go to such great lengths, don't we, to craft the perfect image of ourselves. We, we upload that professional photo onto LinkedIn to project an image of success and wealth and we have it all together. Or, or we upload a choreographed video onto Instagram to project an image of popularity or coolness or everyone wants to be my friend and you do as well. We're obsessed with crafting an image for ourselves because our image gives us worth, doesn't it? Our image, in one sense, gives gives us glory. We, We think to ourselves, well, if people see this image of me, maybe they'll value this image of me. There are, though, I suspect, two problems with that thinking, at least two. Firstly, I don't know if you've realized, but our image keeps changing. I mean, on one level, whether we like it or not, images go out of style, fashion trends come and go. I always seem to miss them. But, you know, even if we're fully in vogue and on trend, on point the whole time, well, as we age, our physical beauty starts to fade, starts to wrinkle, starts to sag. And the only way then we can, in one sense, keep up appearances is to keep reinventing our image, right? To keep crafting a new look. I don't know about you, but that's an awful amount of pressure. I suspect, though, there is a deeper problem still. You see, for all the images of ourselves that we craft, none of them ever seem to quite reflect reality, do they? In one sense, we get lost in a sea of a thousand faces and we don't know which image is the real me. Is, is it corporate Adam? Is it, is it social media Instagram Adam? Is it pastor Adam or is it friend Adam? Is it son Adam or is it another version? Who, who am I really in this sea of faces? It's, it's painfully ironic. 
We craft all these images of ourselves, and yet we have no idea who we really are. But what if I told you that you don't have to keep recrafting your image to be valued? What if I told you that actually there is an image that is the real you? And, and, and it's an image that will bring you all the value you'll ever need. Even better, it's an image that will never fade away. I mean, surely that'd be good news, wouldn't it? Surely it'd mean that we don't have to live with that pressure of constantly crafting an image, of constantly creating an identity. Surely it'd mean that whatever anyone else might say about how you look or who you are, no, they can't touch your true image. They can't change your true self. They can't diminish your true value. You see, dear friend, I want you to know that that possibility is a reality. Actually, you don't have to craft your own image. You don't have to create your own identity. Because God has created you in his image. He's created you to reflect his glory. You see, if you want to know who you really are, you are a picture of God. I mean, just stop to think of just how amazing that is for a moment, right? That the God who created this world is infinitely beautiful, glorious and worthy. And he created you. That's right, you. To be a mirror of that beauty. To be a reflection of that glory. To be a prism of his worth. In Genesis 1.26, God creates humanity in his image according to his likeness. In one sense, he lets us share in his glory as kings and queens over this world. It's funny, isn't it? You know, you might be trying to project an image of a successful corporate lawyer because you think that that image will, that image will give you value. Well, just imagine how much more glory is attached to the image of a divine king or queen. And yet that's the image that God has given you. You see, for those of you who like to go off into the sunset and and enjoy nature, you might think that God's glory is most beautifully displayed in a blazing sunset or the starry night sky. But Psalm 8 says that God's glory is most beautifully displayed in us. When I observe your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You are not worthless. Christian or not, you are the image of God. You are a picture of God. You are the glory of God. I love the picture that Jonathan Edwards paints of our image and identity. The language is a bit old school, but follow me here, right? The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It came from God as one light is lighted up by another, as light is lit up by the beams of the sun. The soul is in the image of God, as the image of the sun is reflected by his beams. Man, that, that's, that picture is just stunning, isn't it? 
God's beauty is reflected in you as closely as the sun is reflected in its beams of light. Some of us feel embarrassed about our image, don't we? We might look in the literal or metaphorical mirror and even feel ashamed at what we see. We see our blemishes, our imperfections and our flaws. And we anxiously think, my gosh, if people saw this image of me, they'd never value me. So we cover up our blemishes. We conceal our imperfections. We hide our flaws. And we craft a new image, don't we? We craft a fake image, an image that hides our true selves. All just so that we might be valued. It's actually really sad. Because God has created you with his image. He's created you with an infinite value that nothing and no one can ever take away. You see, when I look at you, I am looking at a reflection of the glory of God. God created you to be a mirror of his glory. But so many of us don't want to reflect God's glory, do we? No, we want the glory all for ourselves. We are at heart glory thieves, aren't we? We want the world to value us, not as images of God, but as gods in our own right. So what do we do? We reject our God-given image to craft our own image, to create our own value. And in that moment, my gosh, we are so much like our father, Adam, aren't we? In Genesis 3, Adam, he doesn't want to reflect God's glory. No, he wants to steal that glory. He, he doesn't want to be a mirror of God's beauty. He wants to be the source of all beauty. So what does he do? He crafts his own image. He creates his own glory. But in doing so, he actually shatters his own image. Because he rejects the God whose glory he was created to reflect. Just think about it, right? A mirror is only as beautiful as a person standing in front of it. There's no inherent beauty in a mirror, is there? I mean, if you are standing in front of a mirror, well, I'll let you finish the rest, right? Like, the beauty, it, it depends on the person standing in front of it. When a mirror stops reflecting the sun, its own light is dimmed, isn't it? And when its own light is dimmed, its glory is diminished. You see, friends, in our sin, that's what we've done to ourselves. We no longer reflect God's glory, and when we stop reflecting God's glory, we actually lose our own glory. In our sin, we've become shattered mirrors that reflect God only in part. So here's the fundamental question. Here's the fundamental question. If God created us to be mirrors of His glory... But that mirror is now shattered. How can we be restored? How can we be restored? Have you ever seen an art restoration project? I'm not much of an artsy sort of person, but I have seen movies with, the, with people in it. And what you have is someone called a conservator. And they take a damaged work of art. Uh, it could be a painting with a cracked canvas, chipped off paint or accumulated dirt. And what does the conservator do? She carefully scrapes away the dirt. She carefully brushes away the lint. And she gently patches the damaged canvas. 
Notice what she doesn't do, right? She doesn't destroy the artwork and start again. She doesn't chuck it out and buy a new painting. No, she restores the artwork to its original image. She returns and redeems the artwork to its former glory. You see, you might think that Christianity is just all about how to escape hell. And on one level, that's true, right? I mean, the center of the gospel is that Jesus died in our place to save us from the wrath of God. We must never lose that center. But the scope of the gospel is greater than its center still. And the risk for us is that if we only see the gospel as a message of how to escape the judgment, we're actually missing the fullness of its glory. We end up having a minimalistic gospel that only ever focuses on what we're saved from, but totally misses everything that we're saved for. You see, friends, Jesus, he's not just our saviour. Jesus is our redeemer. And the gospel, it's God's plan, not just to save us out of sin and death, as wonderful and glorious as that is, but it's God's plan to restore our true image. It's his plan to redeem our former glory. You see, in the gospel, God is restoring us to everything we were meant to be. And you might go, well, that sounds great. I get to be back. We're back, right? We're back to our full glory. But what does that look like? And here's where it gets absolutely amazing. If you want to have, if you want to see a picture of our fullest glory, of everything that God is restoring you to be, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. God is transforming us into the image of his son. Uh, Romans 8.29, for, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of the son. You see, friends, the point of our predestination is that we're transformed to be like Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, that's me, we'll also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's Jesus. He is saying that we've been created in the image of God, But now God is recreating us, he's redeeming us, he's returning us, he's restoring us into the image of Jesus. Just think about it. That's why Jesus had to come as a human being. God became like us so that we might become like him. Jesus is the perfect image of God, the exact expression of his nature. Jesus is the truest human of all. Sometimes we think that Jesus isn't really human, don't we? I mean, we think we know he's fully God, but we kind of think that he's a fake human, not really one of us. But no, Jesus is the truest human there has ever been. He is the model of everything that God is restoring us to be. You see, in Jesus, God is returning us to our true glory. He's giving us a whole new self. He's renewing us according to the image of our Creator in Christ, Colossians says. Or in Ephesians, God is giving us a new self created according to His likeness. We often like to think about the gospel as the great salvation story, and that is exactly what it is. But the gospel is also the greatest restoration project in history. 
God is repairing us to once again be those mirrors of his glory. He's piecing us back together to be mirrors of his son. So, when you, when you see the holiness, the majesty, and the glory of Jesus, believe it or not, that is a picture of whom God is transforming you to be. When you see Jesus in his kindness, his compassion, his love and mercy, that is an image not just of your saviour, Brothers and sisters, that's an image of your future self. Sometimes, if we're honest, living as a Christian feels a bit like living a lie, doesn't it? If we're blatantly honest, sometimes it feels like the biggest case of imposter syndrome. When we're fighting our sin, when we're seeking to live for the Lord, it's as if we're fighting to be someone we're really not. It feels unnatural, doesn't it? Sometimes even a bit hypocritical. It's as if we're denying our true selves. But that assumes that our true self is our sinful self. Not so. Not so. No, when we fight our sin, when we live for the Lord, friends, can you see, we're actually being our true self. Our true self is an image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might wonder, what happened to your old self? Let me tell you where to find them, right? Paul says that our old self, our sinful self, it died with Jesus. It's buried in the ground, never to be raised again. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And here it is. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is massive, right? When you are fighting against your sin, when you're struggling and striving to live for the Lord, you're not your old self somehow striving to be new. Now, if that were the case, it's a fool's errand. We're all going to lose. Now, friends, you are your new self, restored in Jesus, just casting off your old. As you fight your sin, as you live for Jesus, God is acting like that conservator, wiping away your stain brushing away your weaknesses, scraping, sometimes painfully, scraping away our imperfections, putting to death our sin. God is gently restoring you to everything he saved you to be, a mirror of his glory, an image of his son. Those of you who know me well will know that back in the day I enjoyed reading Shakespeare quite a bit. I know it's a bit nerdy, I shouldn't admit it. But in Hamlet, we find that age-old saying, to thine own self be true. You hear it all the time, right? Just be true to yourself. Friends, that is terrible advice. Absolutely terrible advice. Because it all depends on who your true self is. If you're a cheat, a liar, or a fraud, please... For the, for the love of God and the good of mankind, don't be true to yourself. But you see, for us Christians, no, being true to ourself means being true to our new self. Ransomed, redeemed, restored, forgiven. You are not your sin. Your sin does not define you. No, when you fight your sin and live for the Lord, you are 
being your true self. You are becoming your true self. And you are learning to live as your true self. If you're not a Christian, let me ask, what is your true self? I mean, let's run with it, right? If you were to be true to yourself, what exactly does that look like? What is your true self? And if you ask yourself honestly, is that a true self you actually want to be true to? You see, in Jesus, God is offering to restore you to everything he created you to be. To transform you into your true self, as it were. To restore you back to your original glory. To take your shattered mirror and to piece you back together. He's offering to make you perfect like his son. It's actually amazing when you think about it. I could never be an art restorer or conservator. It's almost too hard. It's such a great task to restore damaged artwork, isn't it? But just imagine then how much greater the task of restoring an image of God. You might wonder, well, how does God do it? How can God do it in me? And friends, this is where we see our triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, fully involved in our great restoration. You see, the Father creates us in the image of God. He restores us into the image of His Son. And he transforms us by the light of his spirit. He transforms us by the light of his spirit. Have you ever seen uh, one of those time-lapse videos of a growing flower? Sometimes when you're procrastinating on Facebook, you'll scroll scroll through, you'll see a video come up. And it always starts off, right, showing a sapling shoot. And then what happens? On maximal fast-forward, as the sunlight shines onto it, we see that sapling shoot grow to a full flower. The the light of the sun transforms that sapling into the flower it was always meant to be. You see, friends, the same is true of the Holy Spirit. Notice, and read it carefully with me, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, we all, with unveiled faces, are looking, here it is, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God. And we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I'll read that one more time and listen carefully. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking, here it is, as in a mirror at the glory of God. And are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's unpack that. You see, just like the light of the sun transforms that sapling shoot into a full flower, the light of the Spirit is transforming us into our true image. But the transformation project, can I say, is even more radical than that. Because when we look at the face of Jesus, what are we looking at? You see it right there? We're looking at the perfect mirror of God's glory. Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the Father as beams of light are to the sun. When Moses saw God's glory in Mount Sinai, his face shone with a reflection of that glory so bright that he had to cover it with a veil. Friends, when we look at Jesus, we are looking at the clearest mirror that perfectly reflects God's glory. We are looking, we are coming face to face with 
the truest human of all. And that light of the Holy Spirit then shines into our hearts and in transforms us into the, there it is, the very same glory reflected in Jesus. This is a powerful light. It's a transforming light. In one sense, the Spirit is repairing the shattered mirror of our souls so that we can shine God's glory as bright as the sun. When we look at Jesus, not only are we seeing a picture of who we will one day be. Oh, that's amazing enough as it is, isn't it? No, when we look at Jesus, we're actually being transformed into that very same image by a divine and supernatural light. Edwards once again describes it so powerfully. This light is such as effectually or effectively influences the inclination. It changes the nature of the soul. It assimilates the nature to the divine nature. It changes the soul into an image of the same glory that is beheld. Can, can, can you hear what he's saying, right? Let me put it this way. God created us to be mirrors of his glory. Sin shattered that mirror and dimmed our glory. But Jesus is the perfect mirror of God's glory. And now he's restoring us by the Spirit so that you and I might once again reflect God's glory just like he does. He's making us smaller mirrors, miniature images, what Edwards calls little suns, which reflect in part his perfect glory. Jesus is the perfect mirror of God's glory. And we are being perfected into be mirrors of Jesus. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul can say, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Right? He's not calling us to reflect his light, remember? A mirror has no glory beyond its object. He's calling us to reflect Jesus' light, which is then reflected in him. There's a double reflection going on, first in Jesus and then in us. Let's land the plane. That's why Paul calls pastors and elders to be exemplars and images of Christ. In 1 Timothy 3, an overseer must be above reproach. In chapter 4, Timothy must set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Why is it that pastors and elders are more than just preachers and leaders and functional machines as such? God is calling his shepherds to be clearer mirrors that shine the Spirit's transforming light. And this is what happens, right? As we reflect God's glory to the church, God's people are transformed then into a thousand points of light. The, the church then becomes a thousand points of light where we shine that light on one another. We transform each other by that light. And then together as the church, we become the light of the world, shining the hope of the gospel into the darkness. Friends, your Christ-likeness matters, not just for yourself. We often think our Christ-likeness matters, our godliness matters on a personal level. But can you see that as you reflect the glory, the beauty, and the holiness of Jesus, you are transforming everyone around you? Pastors and elders are called to be clearer images of Christ so that we might be transformed and then transform one another 
into everything God redeemed us to be. So imitate your leaders. Be transformed by the light of Christ reflected in them. Imitate them as they also imitate Christ. Hebrews 13, 7, as Cedric read before, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. I wonder, whom do you seek to imitate? They say imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? But all of us kind of model ourselves of someone or something. Just pause for a moment. Whom do you seek to imitate? Who is the person or the couple in your life that you most aspire to be like? I'm going to venture a guess. I can't say for all of you, but I suspect that most of us have enough shame and we're not going to say that, you know what, Adam, I want to imitate a rich, successful, worldly pagan. Who's going to, no one's going to say that. But I suspect that most Western Christians aspire to be the rich young ruler of Mark 10. Or you might actually call him the rich religious ruler, right? Because what was he? He was religious and rich, Christian and comfortable, saved and successful. The one who has it all. The Lord Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. But I love what Peter Adam observes. We still spend our whole life trying to prove him wrong. (laughs) So, This is what happens, right? This is what I think happens in Western Christianity when we see someone who looks like they've cracked the code. Oh my gosh, they've figured it out. They have figured out how to serve both God and money. They know how to worship God in success, how to pursue God God and comfort, how to treasure God in security, how to play both teams. You're my guy. That's who I want to be. But I worry, friends, that that is simply greed hiding behind a thin veneer of godliness. Carnal comfort hidden under the cloak of Christianity. I love the words. Hebrew says imitate their faith. Not their wealth, not their success, not their investments. Imitate their faith. Because as we've seen, their godliness will shape our godliness, whether we like it or not. And their worldliness will shape ours as well. Friends, as a church, we want to be appointing shepherds who deny themselves, carry their cross, and follow Jesus daily. Shepherds who count it all joy to suffer for the gospel, to pay the cost of discipleship, to wear the crown of thorns so that one day we might receive the crown of glory before our Lord. If the pastor is married, we want to see the same in that couple. We want to see shepherds and their wives to live lives that are worthy of imitation. But here's where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. Because I suspect that if that is truly the case, that our shepherds will bear some worldly weakness. You see, I'm a veteran. I've been pastoring for two years. Not really, I've... You know, I mean, but if there's one thing that I've begun to realize is this. Christ-likeness is forged in the crucible of suffering. Christ-likeness is forged in the crucible of suffering. And so often, the shepherds you want to follow, 
The shepherds you want to imitate, the shepherds whose faith you want to imitate, will probably bear some worldly weakness about them. They may not have a great job. They may not be successful. They may never own a home. They may suffer a disability or or long-term depression. They may not be married and they may not be wealthy. If church is a pristine country club, these guys would never make elder, if indeed country clubs appoint elders. Your shepherds, let's face it, may not be everything you want them to be. But if they reflect the glory of Christ, they will be everything you need them to be. Chipped and cracked for sure. But clear and genuine images of Christ. Imitate their faith. I'm fully aware that as I preach this sermon, gosh, as I preach this series, I'm setting a high bar for our pastors and elders, and it is awfully uncomfortable for myself. So let me say, if we haven't failed you already, I promise you we will. Even though God calls us to be clearer mirrors of his glory, we are not Jesus. Now, he alone is the perfect image of God. You see, there will be times when we will fail to shine as brightly as we ought. And when we do, please forgive us. Please be gracious to us. Please be patient with us. I promise you as much as I can that we'll never seek to excuse our sin. But I seek refuge in Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Practice these things. Be committed to them. So that your progress may be evident to all. Praise God, right? Not just for pastors and elders and shepherds, for everyday believers. Praise God that he expects progress, not perfection. But as go the shepherds, so go the sheep. So can I ask, as Andrew joins us and as we appoint another elder, please pray for us. Please pray for our fight against sin. Please pray for our pursuit of holiness. Because Jesus calls us to reflect his image to the church so that as a church we might reflect his image to the world. Have you ever had that moment? That moment where you bump into someone new and they look at you and say, I know your face. I know your face. And you're like, I don't know yours. I say, you really look like someone. Well, I wonder, when your non-Christian friends look at you, might they say, that's it, got it. You look like Jesus. John Newton writes these wonderful words. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. Who am I? But I would like to add just one little bit more. Because Paul says, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then one day, we will see face to face. And on that day, 
by the grace of God, we will be what God created us to be. We will be what Jesus redeemed us to be. We will be as he is. Perfect images of the Son. Let me pray. Oh, our gracious, glorious Father. Thank you that in the gospel, not only are you saving us out of sin and death, but you are restoring us to our true image, our image in the Lord Jesus Christ. So may we as a church be transformed by your spirit. May we as a church, God, be transformed into the likeness of the Son so that we might transform one another and so that we might be a light to the world. Do these things, God, we ask and pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.